This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us today. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis and my co-host is my adorable service dog, Fenway. And we're excited to be with you to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we are welcoming Suzanne Ilschultz and canine keb and suzanne has a lot to share with us today she is a canine search and rescue professional volunteer and she has written about her adventures with canine keb in a really awesome new book called a dog's devotion true adventures of a canine search and rescue team so we've got lots to talk about So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Suzanne and Kev to the show. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. We're so excited to have Suzanne and Canine Keb with us today. Hey, Suzanne, and welcome. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. And so are Keb and my second search and rescue dog, Killy. Who are right here with me in my office. Awesome. Well, we are so excited that you're here and you guys have been really busy with the new book and with all your search and rescue work. So tell us, first of all, what types of search dogs do you have? What What are their jobs, Suzanne? Well, I've had three search and rescue dogs. I got my first SAR dog in 2001. I was uh, inspired by 9-11. I saw the dogs deploying on the rubble. And two months later, I walked in the door with my first search and rescue dog. Wow. How did you get that dog? Well, that's a long story. I didn't get him the way I should have gotten him because I really didn't know what I was looking for. And so I got the medium drive dog and I had to work my tail off to really get that dog up to the standard that he needed to be to do wilderness search. And it it was through sheer determination and persistence, Uh, but we ended up making it a certification and he was a good dog. And when I got my second dog, which was Keb in 2010, I knew what I was looking for. So I went about that whole process in a very different way. Yeah. And tell us, what were you looking for? I was looking for a working line, dogs that 
our confidence that have the nerve strength to be able to load it up on helicopters, working side by side with excavators, you're in really tense environments with the law enforcement and detectives, you know, a high drive dog uh, that doesn't stop looking for the tennis ball when you throw it out in the field with with the uh, high grass after a couple of minutes. But, you know, the kind of dog that is still looking three hours later. And um, because the kinds of missions we go on often can last more than a day. So, you know, you have to have a dog that doesn't give up and keep searching. And um, in our environment here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, particularly if you do wilderness search and rescue, you have to have an athletic dog. And so I spend a lot of time actually developing stamina, both for myself and my dogs. Going back to your original question, what kinds of disciplines uh, do we do? I've had my dogs have certified in uh, wilderness air scent, in uh, first responder uh, disaster, in avalanche, and in human remains detection, and most recently historical search. Wow, that sounds awesome. You've been busy doing a lot of work. That is really impressive, Suzanne. How did you get started? Because you're a volunteer, right? Yes, we are all professional volunteers. And um, on top of my 15 to 20 hours a week of volunteering, pursuing this obsession of mine, I mean, it's a passion. Um, I run a full-time executive coaching business. Yeah, so it it takes a huge commitment. It really, to do search and rescue uh, with canines is really a lifestyle. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it sounds like you have a high drive as well as your dog, as well as Kev <laughs> has to have a high drive. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to do anything less than than 150 uh, <laughs> percent, fortunately and unfortunately. Yeah, well, it sounds like it. Wow. Well, that is so impressive. So what did you start out with when you st- first started doing search and rescue? What type of training did you go through and, and which certification did you get? Right. Well, when you get into search and rescue, before you even start training a dog, you have to go through a lot of training, for example, navigation, helicopter training, rigging and litter packaging and uh, all kinds of things. It takes a huge amount of um, uh, training to even get to the point where most organizations allow you to bring a dog in. And then typically for a new handler like myself, at least Back then in 2001, we typically start them uh, with an air scent dog. And that's the kind of dog that, you know, work typically works off leash in in the wilderness. And um, all three of my dogs have done that. But actually, my most recent dog, Hilly, started out right away doing human remains detection. And um, that's the uh, discipline that I have been specializing in uh, the last six years. Wow, that's impressive. And how do you get, because I have people ask me all the time, Suzanne, how do I get started? I want to do search and rescue, but I don't know how to get started. How do you do that and start developing relationships with the agencies that you just mentioned that will invite you to come and be part of their teams? Yeah, well, number one, I would encourage people if they're on Facebook to join uh, the canine search and rescue community. It's a private group for uh, search and rescue handlers from throughout the world. I think we have over 6,000 people now. 
And uh, that's where we see a lot of, of uh, uh, people that are interested in asking questions. And there are there's a lot of expertise in that membership. Outside of that, you know, the best thing people can do is to Google uh, canine search and rescue in their area and just contact lo the local search and rescue organization and ask them if they have a canine team and, you know, ask to be invited to come um, observe a training and start developing the relationships. That's great advice. That sounds so simple. Just Google it and then <laughs> and then follow through. But yeah. but I, I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, so many people do want to do it, but they also, you know, need to understand all of the hard work that you've gone through and and all of the training and requirements. What would you say was one of the biggest lessons that you learned when you became a first became a handler? Well, I think, and this is a lesson learned by uh, everybody that tries to become involved in this, and that is, I think we approach it kind of ro rosy-eyed. Uh, you know, I, I watched the uh, dogs deploying on the rubble in the aftermath of 9-11, and it was anything but rosy-hued. <laughs> you know, most of the time we deploy when it's dark, wet, cold, and here uh, the uh, wilderness is very harsh. And so, you know, I would say that probably only about 5% or somewhere around the, that number end up certifying. Most of them drop out uh, in the first three months. And so, you know, I, I think what I learned is that this takes a huge commitment, not only on the part of you or me, but on the part of your family. You have to have your family support because you will get that page going off in the middle of Thanksgiving dinner, when your kid is having an important important soccer match, and you have to drop everything and you know be able to leave with your dog, and uh, so a fair number of people I think end up running into family issues. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a huge lifestyle commitment, really. Right. Th that's what I tell people when they ask me about a working dog. I'm like, yes, it is a lifetime and <laughs> lifestyle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 Well, when you think about the work that, how long have you been doing this now, Suzanne? I've been doing this since 2001. And, okay. Uh, yeah. So I'm on my third dog. Yeah. Wow. And so what, out of all the work that you've been doing, what have you found that sticks out in your mind as a moment you're most proud of, or that was most rewarding for everything that you've sacrificed to do this work? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I learned early on was you go into this field, hoping, of course, to find living people. And that's what you celebrate. There's nothing like, you know, finding a two-year-old that's been missing for a day and he or she is alive. But what I found out was that actually most of the missions I've been on, the subjects we're looking for are not alive when we find them. And so... Somewhere along the, the road, and I think it started in 2014 when we had the also landslide here in Washington state, which is the largest landslide in the history of our state, where 43 people died and a whole community was wiped off the map. And my dog, Keb, and I were deployed on that for uh, 14 days over the course of a month, and we had three fines. And... You know, while those finds were so tragic, 
there was also that feeling of pride in being able to bring an answer to the families. And um, I think that was a turning point for me because that's when I really started becoming uh, committed to doing human remains detection. Uh, because also we do a lot of crime scene and cold cases. And so you get exposed to families that have been looking for their loved one, you know, not just a day or a month or uh, a year, but sometimes for decades. And so they wake up every morning. They don't know what happened, where their loved one is. And to be able to bring an answer, you know, you'll never bring closure, but to be able to bring an answer uh, that, yes, we found the remains and you can now bury your loved one. That, that is something that really I connected with emotionally. And so following that also landslide, which definitely stands out as the most life-changing mission I have been on, if nothing else, due to the magnitude, following that uh, mission, that is the field that I've been specializing in. What I, what I want to do is to bring answers to families that are looking. Yeah, that is so powerful. And I certainly hear what you're saying and can appreciate that, that it may not be the answer that they want, but it is an answer that they have just been agonizing over for, like you said, it could be years and years, which is just so hard to even fathom what kind of pain that must be for them. Exactly. Yeah. And so for you and your dogs to be able to be a part of helping them move forward must be just really hard to articulate that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because it's, I mean, we've had finds that were just recent dead, but we've also had finds that were nine-year-old remains. Mm -hmm. um, we found a mandible up in the foothills here in the Cascades. And because there were teeth in the mandible, they were able to do dental forensics. So a family that had been looking for their beloved daughter for nine years finally was able to find out what the fate was and, wow. and that she was dead. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, Suzanne, it is so fascinating to hear all of your experiences. And we are going to come back and we're going to take just a quick break to hear some important messages from our sponsors who we love. But when we come back, I want to hear about the book and the wonderful book, A Dog's Devotion, that you recently published. So everybody come right back after these quick messages as we continue visiting with Suzanne Ilschultz and K9 Kev. Come right back. Pet Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. We're visiting today with Suzanne L. Schultz and K9 Keb about their phenomenal, amazing search and rescue work. 
And before the break, I had mentioned that Suzanne recently published a new book called A Dog's Devotion. Suzanne, tell us about the book and how you came to write that. Yeah, I actually started writing it over five years ago. And if I'd known uh, what would be involved, I might never have started. <laughs> because <laughs> 50 manuscripts later, we actually did get a very uh, reputable publisher, Lions Press, to take us on. And um, the reason the book came about was because my field support, which your field support when you go out on missions are crucial. They're the ones that, you know, have your back. They look out for hazards. They do the navigation and so on and so forth. But he, um, and his name is Guy, he and I had been on many, many missions together. And he's the one that brought up the idea of, why don't we write a book? And uh, frankly, I was a little skeptical to begin with. And, but he said, you know, this is a way to become a voice for all SAR volunteers to share and create public awareness about the important work we do. And so I kind of stood on that and I ultimately got back to him and I said that if we can write a book that inspires people to dream big, to pursue their passions, no matter what obstacles are thrown their way, then I'm on board. And so that's that was our goal when we wrote the book. And um, it kind of evolved over time. You know, we, we didn't know what it was going to look like when it was all said and done. But uh, it's basically 12 chapters, I believe, that each chapter describes a mission we were on. And they are all very different missions. So anywhere from disaster to being uh, dropped by helicopter on Mount Rainier to doing old cold cases, you know, finding bones and scattered remains. And we're trying to give a really an inside look of what it's really like, you know, the grit and perseverance you have to have in order to survive in this kind of organization. My journey has been high highs, low lows, but on the balance, it's all been worth it so much. Yeah, I'm sure with everything you're describing, it doesn't seem like many lows, um, Suzanne, from all oh, yeah. the amazing <laughs> adventures that you have experienced, but such intense work of, you know, with, I mean, you're working with death and catastrophic trauma. So I can only imagine the intensity of the work that you and your dogs do. But I'm so thrilled that you wrote this book because, you know, there are so many books about dogs, but I'm always surprised that there aren't that many books out there about working dogs. Or maybe it's just because I love them so much, there's never enough for me. But I love it when someone like you writes a book about the work that you do and the relationship that you captured so beautifully about you as a handler working with your dog. Tell us a little bit about that relationship, Suzanne. Yeah, I mean, I think that my relationship with Keb took a big step after the Oso landslide because it was so intense. I mean, the bond you develop with your dog after going through something like that, it can't really be articulated in words. And, and you're absolutely right. It can be really traumatic. And, you know, on that particular mission, we worked side by side with families looking for their, you know, missing kids. And, and you have to be able to compartmentalize and because you can't become part of the problem on a mission. So just like healthcare workers, you have to be able to put it aside. And that doesn't mean that there aren't times after 
you come home or whatever that you shed a tear in private. And Keb is my big consoler. You know, she could sense when I was sad or when I am sad. And she will nuzzle me and, uh, you know, spoon with me. And it's just that I tend to describe the relationship when it's really when you're in the zone as being symbiotic and between two species, because she can't do her work without me. I can't do my work without her. And when when things click, you know, it's like that a fine-tuned piece of machinery. And it's like this intricate dance where we just play off of each other. And there I, is that's the like- magic, Suzanne. That's magic you're describing. And yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Is there anything any better? Yeah. No. I mean <laughs> I don't think so either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you're in that and that, but you're right. It is such a codependent it really is but in a super positive way that you need each other to do this incredible work wow i love it that's so beautiful well and keb is quite the the little star right didn't keb just get some amazing award recently she did we just came back a couple of months ago from palm beach where we'd been flown out by the um, american humane uh, association to attend a gala event to celebrate the hero dogs of 2022 and they actually celebrate i think seven different categories so anywhere from service dogs therapy dogs military dogs and i'm drawing a blank right now but search and rescue search and rescue dogs and Keb was awarded the search and rescue dog of the year and um like i said was a part of a, a gala event and has been getting a lot of public recognition and fame anywhere from uh, <laughs> you know, tv shows to radio shows and and of course i'm leveraging that to be the voice for all search and rescue volunteers and yeah. to be able to spread the message around the important work we do that's like the Oscars. That's like best actor at the at the Oscars in the canine world. Yeah. And you know, she's third she just turned 13. So she's so mellow compared to what she used to be like. She used to be called the cabinator. Yeah. <laughs> she she's perfect to bring on uh, PR kinds of events because she just wants at this day she wants uh, all the cuddles and Aww. and uh, snacks she can get. Of course. That and, she and deserves. I, yeah. Yes. And I've actually retired her from search and rescue last year, but she's still doing historical work. Yeah. I heard you mention that when you talked about all the amazing certifications. Tell us that. What is historical work? Yeah. So about two years ago, when I realized that Keb was slowing down, uh, I thought, well, she loves working with her nose. And while the body is slowing down, there's nothing wrong with her nose. So how can I allow her to continue to do the work she loves, even after she can't go up in our mountains. And that's how I originally connected up with an organization here locally called the Canine Forensics Foundation. And they do historical work. And so they work, for example, with Native American tribes to find old ancestral graves. They could work with government agencies that are looking to do construction in an area, but uh, there may be tribal communities that want to make sure that, you know, no ancestral graves are there or get disturbed. Mm-hmm. And one of the areas I would really like to get into with uh, with Keb and my um, other dog, Killy, who is also certified in historical remains, 
is, you know, the shameful history of um, the boarding schools. Yes. And and there's a lot more attention now being paid to missing women in the Native American community. Yes. Yes. And, you know, those are areas where I would love to be able to give back in some way. And um, and the training is very different, yet similar to how we train for cold cases. But we train exclusively on bones and teeth for this kind of work. And how long is a training like that, Suzanne? How long does it take before you can be certified in historical search? Well, I think it depends on a few things. It depends on, you know, is your dog already certified in human remains? And is it doing his, uh, cold cases like my dogs were? You know, it took me about a year before I felt comfortable that they would perform on, you know, those very low threshold odors that you are searching for when you search for ancestral graves. But I would say in general, you know, in my opinion, any kind of uh, certification for most people and most dogs, you know, you should assume a couple of years. That's what I was thinking. It seems like that would really take some time. Yeah. And in dog years, that's a long time. Exactly. Yeah. That's why we encourage people to bring uh, puppies, not old dogs, because there's so much work involved in getting them to certification and and certification is different from be, even from being operational, right? Operational means that you're actually deployable on uh, real live missions. And so, you know, if you have a seven-year-old dog and then you train for two years, they don't have a very long career. Right, right. And we really don't have the time to invest for someone like that either. Because mm-hmm. I coach a lot of other teams that are wanting to become certified. So right now you have the two dogs you have Healy and Keb. And how do you like to do that with having more than one dog that you can work as a search and rescue team with? How is that for you? Well, I mean, it takes twice the work, right? We mm-hmm. have we have national <laughs> standards that suggest you have that you train, you know, real nose time, 16 hours per dog per month. That means for each discipline. So for human remains detection and for historical, that means I need to find quality training nose time of 16 hours per dog per month. Wow. So I typically do something every day. You know, I do take my dogs out hiking an hour and a half every day in rough terrain with um, quite a lot of elevation gain. And I always try to do something with search. You know, sometimes it's just a negative search. So I put my dog on the command and they search for an hour and they don't find anything because that's the reality of real missions, right? Mm -hmm. So if we always train with them and they always find, then it doesn't make any sense to them to then all of a sudden, like next week I'm going on a project where, you know, they're going to be deployed all day long with Mm -hmm. breaks. So anyway, I try to train every day. And on top of that, you know, we have team training a whole day on the weekend And uh, we tried to squeeze in another team training. Like tomorrow morning, I'm going to a cemetery with a couple of the people from my team, Cascadia Search Dogs and Canine Forensics Foundation, to train on uh, old pioneer graves. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That sounds really amazing. But you are busy, Suzanne. How do you keep yourself physically fit for this work? Well, I go out hiking every day with my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I do. I, I have a, a cardio weight training protocol I do every morning here at home. I used to go to an outfit before COVID hit, and then I never went back 
because I developed such a good program for myself here with my dogs. And But yeah, you definitely have to keep in shape. And, you know, I'm not 30 years old any longer. So I have to work harder at staying in shape. Well, you are doing a fantastic job to be keeping the schedule that you're keeping with the dogs. That is really impressive, Suzanne. And I could sit and talk to you about this all day. I'm so sorry that I know our time is coming to an end and I know how busy you are and you have to get on to the rest of your day with Keb and all of your activities. But before you leave us, Suzanne, tell our listeners how they can find out more about you about Cascadia Search Dogs, and about the book. All right. The book can be bought on um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and really any place where you usually buy books. I also have a website, a book website, and it's um, uh, SuzanneElsult.com. So it's my name.com. Cascadia Search Dogs has a website, csdk9.com. And um, uh, so does um, the Canine Forensics Foundation, k9ff.org. And um, I'm on all social media. You can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok, (laughs) on LinkedIn. Wow, you've got it all going on, Suzanne. Yeah, I'm out there for sure. Okay, wonderful. Well, we will be sure and list some of this um, on our website so that our listeners can reach out to you or read more about you because it's just fascinating the work that you're doing. And thank you for the work that you're doing and the families and the individuals that you're helping to get answers for. You and, and your dogs are just, it's phenomenal. It is. Thank you so much. You know, Marcy, I have to say, I am just so grateful that I can wake up every morning with a purpose. I bet. I bet you jump out of bed, Suzanne, because you do have purpose, some amazing purpose. And so do your canines. It is it's just fabulous. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us. We love to hear from you. So please keep your emails coming. And you know you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. And you know I love getting your emails at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. So please keep those coming to us. Fenway and I love to hear from you. And thanks for joining us, and we look forward to being with you again soon. Take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.